to be fair, there has been a big outflow from Kathy's fund, but a lot of money has stuck with her. So I think that's because she didn't change. She's still Kathy. She's still publishing the research. She's still transparent about what she does. So all the good stuff's still there. So, I mean, if I was Kathy, I'd just say, screw the world. You know, I'd just carry on doing what I'm doing. Hey, fellow Star Guardians, welcome to the show. Today's episode is a special one for me because my guest today is one of the YouTubers that I personally watch and listen to his content. Ramin Nakisa is my guest today from Pension Craft YouTube channel and community. Ramin was an investment banker before he became a YouTuber. He's also author of a very successful book uh, for hedge funds and uh, investment bankers and another successful book for individual investors called uh, Invest in Fear. Uh, and uh, I'm so excited to have him on this show. We had great conversation about why you shouldn't buy the dip. We talked about his YouTube channel, Pension Craft, and we even talked about whether it's the right time to buy the dip in ARK Invest in Kathy Wood's um, of portfolios or funds. So without further ado, uh, let's get to the show. Thank you, Hoda. Thank you so much for having me. So Ramin, maybe we just start jumping to what is the history or the story behind Pension Craft and why did you start this? Uh, YouTube channel and this company? Well, I was an investment banker for a long period of time. So whenever you're an investment banker, it's kind of like being a soldier in World War, World War II. You know, there are lots of casualties all the time. So everybody has an exit plan. And mine was to start some kind of education for retail investors. So we were writing research for, you know, hedge funds, pension funds, um, sovereign wealth funds, and what I thought was, why don't we create this quality of research, but for retail investors, normal investors, because that was just not there. And particularly on YouTube, I just thought a lot of the quality of the content was just terrible, where people were just kind of opining about stuff, not giving their own, not ever really kind of backing it up with facts. So I thought it would be nice if we had something similar, but for retail investors. Now, of course, that means that you have to explain stuff because, you know, if I'm sitting with a hedge fund manager, I don't have to explain what a convertible bond is. You know, they know all that stuff, hopefully. Uh, but you're not going to explain it to them if they don't. Whereas with retail investors, a big part of it is explaining it. So, you know, that was um, that's the big difference, I think, between what I do now and what I did then. And, you know, I still think there's a big gap in people's education in terms of knowing about investment. You know, we never taught this stuff in school. And so, you know, I, I feel as if that's kind of what we're trying to do, fill that gap, keep it factual, less kind of opinion based. I know we'd get more clicks if we were more opinionated, but, but we, we really haven't gone down that road. And also kind of doom porn gets massive views. If you're just miserable all the time and say markets are going to crash, lots of clicks. But I don't want to go down that road because it's just wrong, right? Most of the time things are okay. So that, that that's the kind of ethos behind it. You know, we're trying to educate people, keep it factual, and, you know, help people do stuff which will succeed in yeah. investment. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I love your content. I've read somewhere, uh, being pessimistic sounds to be intelligent is one of the way to sound intelligent is to, to be pessimistic and always say, crash, and it's not going to work. We're all going to die. Everything is doomed. Yeah. 
And uh, obviously that's a really good engagement hook that a lot of um, a lot of YouTubers use, but I love your content in terms of how it balances education and op shows the opportunity and explain the opportunity. And also we're going to show, we're going to talk about it. You also talk about things that you shouldn't always buy the dip or you shouldn't always follow the momentum. There's a good way to buy the dip and there's a good way to buy the momentum, but not all, all of it is always correct. And so that's what uh, I'm so excited to have you on this show and have a conversation with you. But before we jump in, you also wrote two books. Um, do you want to talk about them? Uh, it, uh, maybe we can, uh, we, all, we obviously would put a link about those books uh, in the show notes, but it would be great to kind of get a sense of what those books are and uh, whether users should pick it up and uh, read them. Yeah, I mean, the first one was called The Financial Bestiary. Now, it's not what you think. It's not that word, okay? <laughs> it's, a bestiary was like a kind of medieval book which had, you know, creatures, mythical creatures like a, a salamander or a dragon. And each of them had a kind of spiritual lesson for you as a human, as a, as a Christian. But, but the idea was that I'd have a kind of picture book for people in investment banking or maybe on the kind of buy side as well. So it would have like, this is a trader. This is what they do. This is a salesperson. This is what they do. And I had actual people who I'd met through my, through my work. And, you know, it was quite popular because it explains who does what. And then it also had a kind of picture of, you know, this is a bond, these are the cash flows, this is a convertible bond, this is an option, and this is what it is. So it was just like an introduction into the kind of knowledge you'd need at an investment bank, but you'd be too embarrassed to ask. So things like, you know, how do options work? How do you actually price an option? Because if you actually speak to a trader, they won't say, I use maths, I use Black-Scholes theory, I use a Martingale process. No, they say, this is, how we, this is how we do it. We just hedge the product and the hedging cost is the cost of the option. So it's nothing to do with maths, it's about risk. So that, that kind of intuitive understanding of how the products work, how they fit together, and also who does what, you know, I think that kind of big picture stuff is what went into the best theory. And, you know, I kind of poured my heart and soul into it. It wrote, it took me about three years, four years to write it, maybe a bit longer. Every night on the tube, I'd be kind of, you know, squashed in on the tube and writing this wow. <laughs> after a 10 hour day at work. Oh, wow. But it was great fun. It was, it helped me to unwind and, you know, it created a lot of opportunities for me. And then I did a book on uh, volatility trading called Invest in Fear, because I heard that people like, grandmothers in America were buying VIX funds or even derivatives based on VIX. And I just thought, do they really understand what they're buying? And I thought most of the time the answer is no. So I try to explain exactly how they work, what the problems are, how it fits into a portfolio, that kind of thing. So that was my second book. Wow. And, and now, you know, my videos get so many views, more than my books have ever got. So I'm not sure that writing another book <laughs> It it's kind of worthwhile. Well, the medium has changed, right? Has evolved. It, it used to be written medium, and now we have obviously the fortune of seeing you or seeing the creator and sort of interacting. So it's got it's got really, I guess, interactive and different. It's on my to do list to read this book. Invest in fear sounds super cool, and then uh, 
the best the bestery the first time i read it i saw this beastery and i'm like okay <laughs> this sounds very interesting but yes thank you for uh, introducing those books definitely we'll put a link to it but let's go back to uh the topic of the youtube channel i watched one of your videos it's one of your most um uh, watched videos actually and it's really intriguing the title is don't buy the dip and uh, I was immediately um, struck by it because I love buying the dip and uh, it not doesn't always doesn't uh, always work the way I think it should work. Uh, so that's why I kind of watched it and then I it really found it fascinating. So let's unpack that if you're if you're OK with this in this in this video and have a chat about why people should not buy the dip ramen. So I think most of the people think about um... Okay, when markets go down, it's a good time to buy. Okay, that's true. But the way I looked at it was to say for most people, you know, for the from the age of about 20 to about what 60, you actually earn money, you save money monthly. So the real choice month to month is if I receive a dollar, do I invest that into markets, regardless of what happens to the price of the market? Or do I withhold it and kind of keep it in the form of cash? ready for when markets fall to some reasonable valuation. So those are your two choices. And then you can choose a threshold for valuation. You can choose different measures for valuation, <clears throat> or you can base it on how much the price has moved relative to the previous peak, say. And what I showed with these back tests was that there's never a threshold at which it's better to withhold cash ever. So it doesn't matter what you choose as the valuation measure, or the kind of threshold, it's almost always better to just carry on buying regardless of price, to be a kind of price insensitive investor. And the simple reason is that, you know, equity markets tend to drift upwards. So withholding money, is, it just doesn't work. Also, because, you know, because of that drift, the sooner you put money in, the better. And, you know, valuation is just such a poor measure of whether equity markets are gonna fall further or whether they're gonna carry on rising. It's pretty much independent of that. So, you know, for those two reasons, it just doesn't really make sense to withhold money. So if you do have a dollar, you know, you just invest it as soon as possible. Most of the time, that's the best thing to do. That's a really good point. Um, a few years ago, I did uh, this sort of like back test and I downloaded the data for Japan um, sort of index and then SMP, uh, SPY, SP, uh, like uh, SMP 500, and then some other uh, countries like index for their, 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 their economies. And then because the conversation was based, it was based on a conversation in our Facebook group at a time that um, investors in Japan got all the, the worst of the worst because the market hasn't even recovered. And then people were saying that, well, look at the Japan example, you shouldn't have been buying and buying the Japan market because you would have lost because the market hasn't gone bad. And then to your point, I ran the simulation of if had I uh, bought Japan's uh, market at the top and then keep buying and keep buying as it was going down. And this was like two years ago to that point that I was doing the analysis, I would have still gained and improved my value, even though I would have bought some of the money on the top of the Japan's market and then kept buying on the bottom and, you know, as if like it was an automatic investing, I would have not lost money and I would have actually grown my investment. And so it sounds to your point, it sounds very intelligent and it sounds that it's a good idea to buy the dip, but 
you you actually if you look at the numbers it doesn't work it that way so if you just keep buying you're going to be the winner but why is it so hard to accept that fact because the math say it but there is a still this whole buy the dip i as i confess i love buying the dip if something goes down i'm all like out of my mind i'm like okay let's go buy it's like this something going on in the market why do you think it's so hard as an investor to accept the mass and it's always we want to fall back in our own sort of like natural intuition i guess of like oh the price is down let's go buy it do you have have you have you seen have you found any reason because you have the professional background as well in why this well, is so speak, hard? i mean i speak to a lot of people one-to-one -one because i do kind of coaching as well and i think usually it's the opposite which is that people actually don't like buying when markets fall so usually they're terrified you know, when I speak to people, usually it's people who've sold a business, you know, so they've got very large sums to invest or they've inherited money. Those are the people that are most scared. And I think for them, you know, they the best way to get them into markets is to drip feed. But generally, you know, they don't want to buy the dip. They don't even want to buy if markets are falling, you know, so that's that's the conversation I have most often. So people, I think, are kind of irrational and it is kind of weird, right? With, with equity that, you know, it's a one example of something where if the price falls, people are scared to buy. It kind of seems weird. So, you know, if you are willing to do that as you are, and as many of your watchers will be willing to do, it's the best possible behavior, right? So I think, you know, if anything, buy more when there's a dip, that would make sense. But um, yeah, certainly i think i think for me it's the opposite you know i find people who find it difficult to buy when there is a dip mm, interesting i guess i went by the number of buy the dip videos that we see on youtube popping up <laughs> as everybody's just talking about it and i thought it's just irresistible for everybody as it is to me <laughs> to keep buying the dip i have to say it's a lot of times doesn't pan out as you hope right because you look at a stock it's a really or or an etf it has tons of good uh, uh, holdings in it. Uh, it's a good management, good track record, all that good stuff. And then you buy it's down 50% and then you buy it and then it goes another, another 5% and 10% and then you're like, like what? Facebook, right? I mean, it's kind of had a horrible fall mm -hmm. and uh, it hasn't really recovered much. So I guess people just think, well, there's something wrong with this. Uh, or there's something I haven't seen. What do the other people know? <laughs> <laughs> is there some piece of information which I'm missing, which the rest of the market knows about? So I think if you don't have your own kind of objective valuation of a particular stock, then, you know, it's hard to say that something actually has value. But if you do have like a discounted cash flow model that you believe in, I think that's probably the best way to approach this kind of thing, because then at least you have a kind of feeling for when something's worthwhile or, you know, maybe the sector's out of favor or people are just scared about a particular thing. You know, so, for example, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia at the moment actually probably creates quite a few opportunities. Um, yeah. You know, for example, one of my clients was just talking about BP, British Petroleum, and uh, they have a subsidiary called Rosneft, and that has a big, big Russian exposure. But the stock has suffered as a result of, of that exposure. Mm -hmm. But actually, the profits last year were great because mm -hmm. you know, the price of oil is very high. So, yeah. Um, that's one example of an opportunity that's created by just having fear. Yeah. But, you know, we, if we do kind of arbitrage human nature, I think there are lots of opportunities there. Yeah. And what is actually your point? You brought up the the oil situation, but what? Uh, and then I think the, the the one part of the market these days is this whole um, 
so-called work from home stocks or COVID stocks that are we've seen crazy crashes happening. Uh, the the I guess the poster child of it is Kathy Wood and her <laughs> portfolio of um, ETFs. What is your take on that? Is that a good buy the dip opportunity or do you think investors are just in for a lot more surprises downward before anything turns out how would you evaluate um those sort of like technology growth momentum stocks for a long time that is now crashing so it's interesting if you look at the forward price to earnings multiple for growth stocks and for value stocks in the us at the moment i mean obviously you normally pay more for growth than you do for value i mean that's the definition of the difference but if you look at the premium people pay for growth, it's really bigger than it is usually. If you go back to a similar premium, it existed in 2000, you know, just before the dot-com bubble burst. So obviously you pay a premium for growth, but the question is how much do you pay? And at the moment, it's still pretty dispersed. So, you know, if I had to guess, I'd say that there's still further to fall for some of that spec tech stuff. And, you know, every earnings season now, I think is going to be terrifying for even institutional investors, because if something misses, you know, it gets completely destroyed uh, over the course of, you know, 24 hours. So, you know, that's why I think, you know, the single stock stuff is, you know, particularly risky at the moment when it comes to an earnings season. But, yeah, I, th I think that probably it's still got further to go. Would I buy Kathy Wood's stuff now? Well, yeah, I'd be more likely to buy it. Uh, and in, in, the, in England, we've got something similar called uh, Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust, which is like our version of Cathy Wood's Light. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's on my shopping list for a market crash. So, you know, that's one of the things I would buy if markets were in complete turmoil mm -hmm. and valuations were much lower than they are now. So I would buy it, but probably not yet. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly got a huge traction because I did a tweet which showed the individual drawdowns for the individual stocks in Kathy Wood's fund. And then one of the FT journalists picked up on it, Rob, Robin Wigglesworth, and he put it in the FT. So that was, <laughs> it was great for us. And uh, other fund managers in the UK, you know, very, very well-known ones, have also had similar drawdowns. A very big one is called um, Fundsmith. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they had a big position in PayPal, big position in Facebook. And I kind of felt sorry for them because, you know, they're really good fund manager very fundamentally driven very disciplined they don't have much churn very big deviation from the benchmark so they don't hug the benchmark but they got completely you know hammered by this sell-off in those two big stocks and it gave up like three years of alpha when they were literally in the space of a couple of weeks so it's pretty brutal out there yeah and if you were the fund manager of fundsmith or Kathy, if you were Kathy Wood in Kathy Wood's shoes, who has tons of these stocks in their portfolio, and the reason I'm asking because I know a lot of our users have a lot of those stocks in their portfolios, or even Kathy Woods or some of the similar ones. If you were the fund manager, what would you do with your current holding that is down 80%? Well, I wouldn't change my style because I think you know Eric Balchunas, who's the ETF guy on on Bloomberg, makes a really good point, which is. She didn't change her style, which is exactly the right thing to do. What's really awful is when you get someone like Kathy Woods, who you know does the research about disruptive stocks, is optimistic and likes tech, and uh, that's just Kathy, right? And if she stopped being Kathy, there'd be no reason to invest in her fund. So, you know, I think 
I think the fact that she didn't have style drift is good. So if you believe in it, you know, I'd say stick with it because the reason why people buy your stuff is because they believe in you and, and your views. So to be fair, there has been a big outflow from Kathy's fund, but a lot of money has stuck with her. So I think that's because she didn't change. She's still Kathy. She's still publishing the research. She's still transparent about what she does. So all the good stuff's still there. So, I mean, if I was Kathy, I'd just say, screw the world. You know, I'd just carry on doing what I'm doing. I mean, it's just not my style, but but that's 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 what I think she should do. I love it. I think you're, you're very intelligent about the way you approach it. You're saying, if you believe your approach, why would you change your approach in response to pricing? Because nothing else about it has changed. And I believe I was listening to some of her content and she was saying, actually, when the situation when market is sort of as she call it a risk off and they're trying to like escape to uh, safety the best thing for a momentum or like a growth stock is to double down on their highest conviction as opposed to trying to fly to safety double down and focus on your highest conviction because that's where you're going to find the most alpha or most growth in the coming years and she's doing exactly that well um the only disclaimer i would add here is that i uh have set up an ongoing weekly thousand dollar buy into kathy wood's uh arc because uh because i thought i don't know where is it going and i can't figure out how far it's gonna go but it's really far and I, I also believe in her research, so I should I should basically do something here. And then the other thing is I balanced it off by a thousand dollar recurring in SPY, S&P 500, and said if Cathy is wrong, at least I'm balancing it out with SPY. So that is my reaction uh, to to Cathy's situation and kind of a continuing on the belief and then risk managing my risk by some SPY buying. So we'll see how it turn out. Maybe uh, five years from now, we do another episode and we can talk about how my strategy turned out. <laughs> well, enough of Cathy Wood. This is a um, pension craft episode. Uh, I didn't ask a question that I wanted to ask at the beginning. And that was, why did you call your YouTube channel Pension Craft? Where did the name come from? I'm always fascinated how creators pick up the names. Most people just put their names on their YouTube channel. You went with a very creative name, uh, but tell us the story behind the name. Well, it's interesting. I mean, my kids, I was always spending loads of time at the weekends trying to set up a Minecraft server for my kids. So I don't know if you've ever had to do that as a you know parent, but it's a real nightmare because they want to do mods and you know it's just it was just a nightmare so anyway i was kind of au fait with minecraft and how popular it was so i thought if you're trying to construct a pension or you know an investment portfolio why not call it pension craft because you instead of trying to create some kind of building you're trying to create a portfolio so it was the idea of construction and learning and so that was the idea i mean i'd have preferred to call it something like investment craft but that URL was already taken. So <laughs> that's the very bad reason why I called it Pension Graph. A lot of people have said it's a stupid name. You shouldn't call it that. I so, love the name. We're we kind of stuck with it now. So <laughs> it is a very good name. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it's always like the first time I heard it, I was immediately drawn to it. I'm like, this is a very creative name. He didn't put his name on the YouTube channel. He actually thought about the craft of creating investments or pensions. In America, I guess it would be called 401 craft because yes. you know, your, your kind of retirement account is called a 401k, isn't it? 
401k yeah you could call it 401k craft that's a really good uh good name i actually uh we had a similar conversation with another creator on the channel and his 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 twitter handle is called 10k diver and we had a whole conversations about how he chose the 10k diver so i'm always fascinated <laughs> how creators come about with their names i love yours and i love the 10k uh, diver runs uh those are really really good stories back to the topic of investing it's like um it's a tradition around here on the YouTube episodes and podcast episodes. We always ask in this current market situation, what is one stock or ETF in your case or a fund that you would buy now and why? I guess for me, in this kind of current environment, the one I'm buying still is my global equity fund, you know, because that's the one I buy all the time. But that's kind of boring. So, you know, I guess for me, it would be something like our version of Cathy Woods, which is this Scottish mortgage fund. And the reason why is because firstly, it's got leverage. Secondly, it's certainly fallen in value a lot recently. I still believe in the ideas behind the fund. The fee's not too high. And um, I think the governance is great for the UK version because the way it works in the UK is it's an investment trust. So it's structured as a company, which means they have a board. So that means that if the fund manager kind of goes off piste, then they can actually fire them. And they also push back on any decisions they make if they think it's kind of egregiously wrong. So there is a kind of layer of governance above the fund manager to ensure that they don't do anything too crazy. So, you know, I like the governance, I like the kind of investment thesis. So yeah, I think that would probably be the one I'd go for. I love it. And in that answer, you sort of talk about a framework to evaluate a fund governance fees and investment theses are some of the most important things you would probably look at when you want to buy an etf or a fund so you you've answered two questions at a time uh, what, but, what but is for me just i should say that's kind of like a, a blasphemy because i don't usually go for actively managed funds but that is an actively managed one mm. but it's been one i've been watching for a long time so yeah i kind of like it very cool and what is the ticker just so that we uh, everybody knows especially if you have uk audience so I think it's SMT is the ticker in the UK for the London Stock Exchange. Gotcha. Thank you. Excellent. Well, uh, we've got um, less than five minutes with you. So we play a little game and um, usually uh, it's it, we're trying to find things that people, good investors avoid. And we play this game with it's a buy, sell or hold game. I learned this from um, David Gardner, founder and uh, one of the founders of the Multifool in his podcast, he would play this buy, sell or hold game. So I'm going to play with this game, uh, this game with you if you're if you're OK with it. And uh, the idea is that I'll share three concepts one by one with you and ask if it was a stock or a fund, would you buy it, sell it or hold it? And we can have a little bit of fun about it. So, Ramin, are you ready to play the game? I'm ready. All right. NFTs. Buy, sell, or hold? Oh, sell, because I don't know anything about them. I mean, for me, it's very much like art. You know, it's subjective, what people are willing to pay for something. You know, I, I don't really understand the appeal of it, but, you know, I don't really understand it, so I'd probably sell. Cool, good. Um, number two, Ramen, metaverse. Buy, sell, or hold? Metaverse, I'd probably buy because, you know, I think particular kinds of stocks in the metaverse are very attractive. So, you know, the companies which create the infrastructure rather than Meta itself would probably be what I'd go for. 
so the kind of miners rather you know the people that sell this the pickaxes to the miners rather than uh buying the individual metaverse type stocks themselves so you know something like nvidia which enables the technology or maybe some kind of unreal engine which creates the kind of graphical framework for it rather than some huge metaverse stock love it in unreal engine is that the unity's product or is that some other companies um... i believe so yeah. i mean i only know about it because you know i do some gaming myself so yes. uh, yeah. yeah very cool nice all right so one more uh, ramen crypto or crypto tokens buy sell or hold well, at the moment, I actually have a crypto strategy, which is momentum based, and it's telling me not to buy. So, so at the moment, I'd sell, but literally it updates every week. So, you know, if you ask me in six days time or one day's time, I'd probably come up with a different answer. Yes. So that's currently a sell. Okay, cool. And I did not know that we should we should definitely is that part of some of the content on your YouTube channel? Is there another channel for so this is for our members. So you know, we're trying to create strategies for them as well. So I know lots of them do crypto. So you know, I just thought this would be interesting for them. Very nice. Um, just a quick uh, quick note on that. We're working on introducing crypto cards, a lot of our users actually been asking, what about crypto? So we've been we've been working on a framework for evaluating cryptos and understanding their like on-chain data and try to bring that and simplify that to our users. So hopefully we can have that in the next couple of months. But that's a great segue into uh, telling our audience where can they find you, where can they read your content and anything you want to share with them about your newsletter, about your YouTube channel, about your community, please do. Well, the kind of way in usually is our YouTube content. So if you like that, you'll like the rest of the stuff that we do. We've also launched a podcast recently called Many Happy Returns. The idea being that if you're a long-term investor, you have many returns and hopefully they're happy. And, you know, we try to educate people. And it's kind of fun. One of our Pension Craft members actually joined with me to create the content. It's uh, Michael Pugh. So that's done quite well recently. And, uh, you know, we're only five episodes in, but it's been popular. And also our Patreon community, if you go to patreon.com slash pensioncraft, you can join our community there. So that's that's kind of covers the, all the bases, I think. Perfect. And uh, do you publish content every day, every week? So we have a YouTube video every week, usually on a Saturday. This week we've done two, because we did one on the situation in Ukraine, but usually it's one. And then we put the podcast out every week on a Wednesday and we produce a newsletter every Friday, which is free. And that kind of highlights the rest of our content as well, which is quite newsy, quite short. And, the, and I'll tell you what gets the most clicks in it. It's got a funny dog video and that always gets the most clicks, which is quite annoying. <laughs> I guess that's what people like, right? Yes, that's what people like. Cat videos and dog videos. <laughs> always beat investment videos. <laughs> Well, Ramin, thank you so much. We'll put a link to all of this good content. Uh, I have to thank you for doing this episode, for doing the great work you're doing. You're one of the videos, uh, YouTube channels that I listen to and watch to all the time. And uh, we're well, thank you for creating Stock Card while we're doing the thanks. I think it's great. Thank it's really you so amazing much. work. Thank you, Ramin. And hopefully we will have you back in the studio soon. Thanks. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.